Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome back to another edition of the Patriots Report. My name is Christopher Price of the Boston Globe. This week's guest, Connor Orr, staff writer for Sports Illustrated, as well as the MMQB. But first, before we get to Connor, want to let you guys know today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Our partners at Bet Online continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports information. Find out all the latest sports developments, including updated odds on the NBA playoffs, fights, and even next season's futures. And don't forget that Major League Baseball is back as well. Who are you picking to win the World Series? Bet Online is your continued source for all your sports wagering needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino and poker games. It's super easy to get started, so head over to the website today or use your mobile device to join and use our promo code Believe. That's B-L-E-A-V to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. Now let's get to our conversation with Connor Orr. Connor, thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. A few weeks ago at SI.com, you had the Patriots 13th overall in your post-free agency power rankings. We can get into some specifics in a few, but for now, what is your big picture assessment of where Bill Belichick in New England stands at this stage of the offseason? You know, it's interesting when I was at the combine this year, I had talked to a lot of GMs about what happened last year because we didn't get a chance to have that sort of access during during the pandemic and kind of trying to pick people's brains about what happened a year before that. And so many people had praised the Patriots for um, their free agency maneuvers, which at the time, you know, I think some people probably saw that as reeking of desperation. But I think probably now in hindsight looks like some pretty smart economics. And so. It was interesting in that, you know, I hear some complaints with from Patriots fans saying, well, we didn't improve. We didn't improve. But, you know, you did a lot of the, the things that you were supposed to do last year. You probably went above and beyond. And now you're not participating in a market that just isn't conducive to success. And I think that, you know, that's kind of the way that you want to uh, that's kind of way that kind of the way that you want to look at it. Right. Like, you know, you have your difference makers already on the roster. And so, you know, now it's just about coaching them up and getting them better, which Belichick does better than anyone else in the NFL. One of the things that I thought was interesting that you brought up in those power rankings was the fact that they don't have an offensive or defensive coordinator right now going into 2022. And you said the egalitarian approach is fascinating and could guard against teams gathering tendencies on play callers if they don't know who is exactly dialed into the headset. That's a really fascinating point that I don't think a lot of people, at least up here in New England, have brought up. Yeah, you know, and I think that I I had thought about that a couple times, right? I mean, there were certainly situations where, um, you know, you heard people talking about Brandon Staley, for example, um, in L.A., and, you know, maybe he had the tendency to take certain players off the field in obvious run situations, and that's something that the Raiders were able to capitalize on and and basically kick their way into the playoffs on. You know, I I think it was the – it might have been the final game play that the Bengals ran in the Super Bowl that I want to say one of the Rams players said they saw a million times on tape and that they, you know, that was their go-to fourth and short and they knew it was coming and that's why they were able to just get into the backfield. And, you know, with, with the rise in analytics, the availability of film, so much of what you do comes down to, you know, you don't have a ton of time. You're going to have your bread and butter plays and your bread and butter situations. And so, 
you know, having two, three, four guys with input on this guards against that. And I think that you're, you're kind of setting yourself up for, for success if it works. Right. I mean, you know, it could mm-hmm. be, you know, Matt Patricia and, and Joe judge could uh, deserve to be nowhere near an offense. And, you know, <laughs> if you looked at what the giants looked like um, and, and maybe that was more Jason Garrett's fault than Joe judge, I don't know, but th- there was some pretty horrendous football being played there. What are two or three things that have to happen moving forward, maybe in the draft, maybe in that second wave of free agency for the Patriots to get them from a 10-win wildcard team to, say, a 12-win team capable of winning one, two, three playoff games? I, I, I still think they're in the I still think they're in the receiver market. You know, I still think that that playmaker um, is probably a big um, factor for them. And, and I think. You know, we're, we're kind of getting this lost in, in history a little bit um, and, and confused a little bit. But, I, you know, people say, well, Tom Brady didn't have this or that or the other thing. You know, I think Tom Brady had a better, m- more veteran laden team around him when he first started coming on and succeeding. And I think that Mac Jones, you know, you, you put that same roster building strategy into its current context in the current NFL. And you say that, OK, he needs guys that are going to get yards after the catch. He needs guys that are going to turn five to 10 yard passes into 15 to 20 yard passes. Um, and so I, I think that there's certainly a desire, um, I think from new England to, to maybe find that player. And it seems like the draft is fairly deep, uh, in, in playmakers. And I, again, I mean, and he's got to rebuild the secondary, you know, everybody's kind of coming toward Belichick's strategy of that simulated pressure coverage, heavy drop eight, um, kind of stuff. Um, and that means that there's going to be more competition for adequate corner play. And so we'll see how they kind of come out on that. Cause I, I do think that more people are kind of looking at defenses the way that he is finally, oddly, which is, you know, it only took, it only took teams 20 years and like 90 Belichick assistants becoming head coaches for the league to sort of embody, uh, the spirit of what he was trying to do. You bring up a little bit about Mac, and I want to get into some of your thoughts on how he performed this past year. What does he need to do other than get a playmaker or two around him, presumably, in 2022 to be able to get to the next level as a quarterback? Well, I think you, what you want to see is you, you want to see that ability to, to take over games. But I, I think what's interesting is that Bill was so protective of him. And I think that we were all very critical of, at least I was a little bit of that Buccaneers loss where you didn't give Mac Jones the chance to win that game. And, but, but, but I think when you look back on it and, you know, obviously running the ball 46 times against the bills on Monday night football, but you kind of took him out of situations where he could have developed that, you know, whatever that is, that, that legend, that facade, that, that drags everybody behind him during critical situations. And I think that, um, this is the year for that. And I'd be interested to see how frequently Belichick kind of pulls the reins back on Jones. And it could be that what he ended up doing last year was smart. It was the right thing to do. Um, but now you kind of have to loosen those that grip a little bit. And I think give him a chance to to feel himself out a little bit more. Could John Mechie be to Mac what Jamar Chase was to Joe Burrow? Possibly, you know, and it's interesting, right? Like I was talking to, um, um, Duke Tobin about this, um, about Jamar chase. And I, I said, how did you guys, this is one of the most, this is one of the most misdrafted positions in the NFL. It's still a really hard position to figure out. And 
you know, it was interesting to kind of hear him walk through their process on chase and, and how they identified him above like Devonta Smith or Jalen Waddle or any of that. But historically the Patriots have just kind of had a, a difficult time. And you wonder if Belichick, like Ozzie Smith, who is another guy that just had a difficult time drafting a franchise wide receiver, you wonder if he's going to remain in that cage and, and keep taking hacks or if, and this is kind of what I tend to believe, um, especially with the Packers too. I think that there are receivers who are available that maybe we're just not discussing right now. Like I think veteran talent that's available right now that, that maybe teams are just waiting to see what happens in the draft before they end up letting guys go or whatever it is, they're waiting for a price to come down or maybe they want 2023 comp instead of 2022 comp. And so I, I think that that could end up being the direction that he goes in. Although there are a lot, of receivers, really fun receivers in this draft, a lot of different stylistic guys to, to, that you would like there. In that same vein as Mechie, in your mind, is there an easily identifiable draft match for the Patriots, either a player or position for them at number 21? It's hard to say. I mean, you know, I think that there's certainly probably, um, uh, there's probably a, um, there's probably a lean towards, offensive line because there's such versatile talented offensive linemen there and I think you know once once you get rid of the system that cross-trained so many of your best players I think you need to start leaning a little bit more into raw talent and away from Dante Scarnecchia can fix everything you know and, <laughs> and yeah, you get rid of uh, you're getting rid of the ball so fast that it negates some of the issues here but I think this is such a deep and talented offensive line class that it would surprise me personally, at least to see new England completely and entirely sit this one out. Um, I, you know, I think that there's a lot of really good opportunities there. One of the names that's come up here on a, a couple of occasions and part of it is just because of the local ties, but Zion Johnson at 21 out of Boston college. Yeah. So, yeah. And really fun player who um, we were talking about him on the podcast the other day has the positional versatility that I think is attractive to the Patriots. You could, you could cross train him and, and get him ready in multiple spots. And just the, the raw athleticism is, is scary and it's frightening. And that's, what's cool about this class in general. I think I've seen more and, and, may, and maybe we're as a collective society, just getting better at making offensive line highlight films, but um, <laughs> you know, more examples of guys that are just in Zion's one of those people who are getting to the edge and just, you know, they're so athletic that they're just demolishing guys that are so much faster than them. And it's really interesting to see that Charles Cross was another guy that stood out in that regard, but obviously someone I don't think who's going to um, make it to New England's pick, but it, it, it fits what New England wants to do, right? I mean, I think if you can get, have an offensive lineman that can participate in the quick passing game legally and effectively, um, then that's a, that's a huge boost. I mean, that, that's the kind of thing that you, uh, that it's going to benefit Mac Jones in a, in a huge way. Is there one of those second level free agents, one of those guys who's on the market right now, regardless of position who stands out for you as a guy who seems, it just seems to make too much sense that he doesn't sign a New England. For me, the guy seems to be Trey flowers who, yeah. you know, the, the Patriots need some depth there, a familiar face returning to Foxborough who could instantly be plugged back into that defense and not miss a beat. Is there another guy out there? Maybe Flowers is your guy. Is there another person out there who seems to be, like I said before with the draft, an, an identifiable match with this team as a potential free agent? 
I mean, gosh, wouldn't you love to see, um, you know, and, and maybe it would have been three years ago, right? But Bill Belichick and someone like Tyran Matthew, you know, and just mm. to see what what he would have been able to do with them. I mean, I don't think he fits the um, um, the mold, certainly. But there are a couple of guys here that just by virtue of their raw skill set, like I would wonder if the tires don't get kicked. Like, you know, Will Fuller, for example, is on the market and is injury prone. Um, but has had some experience in a Patriots type offense in, in Houston, a Patriots inspired or a Patriots adjacent offense and can just take the top off of defense. And while that's probably what you have Nelson Aguilar for, you know, maybe you could, you know, I thought the Texans started using Fuller in more interesting ways before his time there came to a close and, and you would have the book on him. You would know um, what you wanted to do, but flowers certainly um, is, is another guy, but, this back end is is just so fascinating to me because you have a ton of players with name recognition with some sort of a talent. And, you know, you could see Belichick jumping in on so many of these guys like five years ago or I don't know, maybe 10 years ago, uh, a 30, whatever, 35 year old Indomitian Sue would have been like a lock for that mm-hmm. roster. I feel like, you know, like that space eating tackle who can torture opposing offensive lines and has that depth of experience. But you wonder if he's going in a little bit different of a direction, because, you know, one of the interesting things that I've heard about Bill is that he's becoming so much more open um, to ideas and so much more collaborative than he's been in the past. And whether that's passing it down, whether that's out of necessity, I don't know what it is, but um, you know, I think that uh, maybe, maybe there's someone in his ear saying, now we have to develop some of these younger guys. We have to stop kind of doing this plug and play thing. The program there has changed fairly dramatically. When you're talking about coaching staff turnover, you bring up Dante Skarnecchia. Obviously Josh McDaniels left this past off season. I, I wonder, I do wonder like you, if there is someone in his ear saying, look, we need to change. We need to focus. We need to be a little bit more fluid when it comes to some of these game plans. Not to say that he hasn't been, you know, a week to week game planner in the past, but just the overall approach when it comes to things like this, how much, how much stuff has changed for him? Well, I, I think it's interesting, right? I mean, so many people spent so much time trying to figure out the way that Bill did things that he was able to operate with within his comfort zone for so long and you know and and kind of the individualistic every opponent's different game plans the amoebic roster all that kind of stuff and I think that there's still a ton of value to that I think teams have kind of finally figured that out but by virtue of the systems that they run you know half the teams now are running the 49ers offense because it allows you to do what Bill Belichick does um, without having to be as smart and as overprepared as Bill Belichick is like it's just the system is able to dictate the defense instead of having a system that can win against any defense, if that makes sense. And so I think that, you know, outside of creating something brand new, I mean, I think that there's still a ton of value in Bill's approach, which is hyper individualistic, which is picking apart, you know, teams, weak spots, you know, it's what he does best. And uh, you know, I, I would just wonder if having a fresh take on it, um, with someone like Patricia or Joe Judge or any of those guys might be uh, valuable or, or help in, in any sort of way. Last Patriot-specific question for me. Give me one reason to be optimistic and one reason to be pessimistic about this franchise moving forward. That's a good question. Um, optimistic, I would say that, you know, Bills is sh- sl- showing no signs of slowing down. I think that 
Um, I think that he's evolving and that's really all that you want from your head coach. And, you know, I, I was kind of, I, I raised my eyebrows at Robert Kraft's comments, right. That he was disappointed with the three year um, span where they didn't have a playoff win. It's like, dude, you know, this is uh, you had a pretty good previous 20, you know? And so I think that, <laughs> Uh, you know, you have to take that into account, but this, this was a rebuild that really only took a one year hiatus from the playoffs. And, you know, last year's team maybe had no business um, being in the postseason. certainly matched up against that bills team. But I, I think that they're evolving. I think that they're growing. I think that they have, you know, a, a, a younger core of talented players. I think they're not, you know, the COVID year, it felt like they were kind of hanging on um, to, to the past, but this seems like there's, there's something developing here. So I think that would be my reason for optimism. My reason for pessimism would be that division, I think is only going to get better outside of the jets who I think are always going to have a hard time fielding talent and, you know, something sustainable on the roster there. But I think the bills are really good and are going to be good for quite some time. And I think the dolphins are going to be good. I mean, as, as much of a disaster as that organization is, I think Mike McDaniel is a really good coach. And I think that that's, um, you know, I don't think Bill Belichick would have been as comfortable sending Jimmy Garoppolo somewhere with a bad staff. I think he has a lot of respect for McDaniel. And I think McDaniel is one of those guys that can uh, that can that can effectively game plan. So I, I think the division is just going to get better. It's going to get younger um, and it's it's only going to get tougher. Recently, you wrote a really interesting piece on Colin Kaepernick's workout at Michigan for Sports Illustrated. In your assessment, will Colin Kaepernick have an NFL job in 2022? No, uh, I don't think so. Um, but I, I think that we should just be open to the conversation. And, you know, I know that it's not fair to Kaepernick, really, in general, to say, like, well, he might not be better than Mike Glennon now, but um, he's because he's 34. Right. And we kind of, you know, all sort of robbed him of, of that prime. Um, I, I don't think he's going to have a job. But what I would like to happen is I would like to see a more transparent workout process in general. Like I would like to see a team just say, hey, we're bringing him in. You know, Jim Harbaugh doesn't have to stage this as a halftime show for us to sneak in and maybe look at him and think about how he's doing and all that stuff. It's just no, we're bringing him in and you know, our fan base is going to have to deal with it. And I think that that's kind of what I was hoping for. You know, I was hoping for um, just a chance at 34 for him to come in and to be a backup or whatever it is to compete for a starting job on some of these bottom tier teams. And I think he can do that. Um, I've always had a high opinion of him as a quarterback, um, but I just like to see a really interesting sort of football centric conversation about about Kaepernick and and unfortunately I don't know if we're going to get that by the time his prime window is, is is up Connor I appreciate you taking the time to do this today let people know where they can read your stuff and where they can follow you on social media I appreciate it um on Twitter you can follow me uh, at Connor or um and uh yeah I mean si.com and subscribe to the magazine people you know I think this is uh you know, print isn't dead. Uh, and uh, it's, it's, it's just such a great uh, magazine. You can bundle it with your digital subscription and uh, you know, I'm in it and uh, there's lots of uh, great writers that are in it, the art, the photography um, it's still top notch. So I would say, uh, you know, give uh, give print media a boost. Before I let you go, give me one of your favorite Albert Breer stories. Oh my goodness. Uh, too many. Um, <laughs> no, I would say, uh, Albert, Albert is the best. Um, he is, um, I'll only say nice things about Albert. He is, uh, 
he's great to talk to. He's a great resource. Um, and just, uh, just so overly critical of those Ohio state Buckeyes, you know? So I would, uh, no, I'm just kidding. Um, but Albert's the best and, uh, and Boston is lucky to have him. Connor, thanks again for your time man. take care. And hopefully we can talk again soon. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.